Hey, it's Deacon here. I'm hosting a new workshop called Hiring Secrets to help you find the right people who will take your business to the next level. Join me live on April 6th, and I'll show you my biggest secrets and tools to building a high-performance team. Get all the details at deaconbradley.com, click the Hiring Secrets link in the menu, or check today's show notes for all the links you need. Now, let's get back to the podcast. So you're telling me you went from one employee to being acquired and scaling it to 50 employees? Please explain. Hello and welcome to the Sharp Business Growth Podcast, the show for founders and CEOs who want to create healthy business growth. I'm your host, Deacon Bradley, alongside Justice Marie Me today. And on today's show, we're going to be talking about hiring, talking about growing a team, So you, the business leader, can spend more time on the vision stuff. Like I know you have a vision of where you, what what your business could be, what it could become, Uh, and I also know you're probably not spending as much time as you wish you could (laughs) making that vision come to life. Uh, That's what we're going to talk about today. I can get out of the weeds, and uh, the secret for that—not really a secret, but doing it well is kind of a secret—is team. And Justice, I know you know a little bit about my story about how I got here. You alluded to that in the the intro, but I, I kind of want to turn this over to you because I have, you know, the, the curse of knowledge, so to speak, where I don't know what to ask myself <laughs> where to take this. <laughs> yeah, I get frustrated with Deacon because there's things that he's done that are impressive to me, but he's like, yeah, I did that the other day or a year ago. And I'm like, why haven't you talked about that? So we we are going to talk about this today because essentially, Deacon, your company got acquired by a much bigger agency. You ran your own kind of, I guess, boutique, smaller, yeah, very small agency, right? And and but then you got brought in, got acquired, and you helped scale this other agency, and you were put in a position of people. So you'd never been a people manager, uh, a people like responsible for that. And all of a sudden you get thrown in the deep end and you took it to greater lengths. So I wanted us to talk about that today. Like what was it like? What was that whole experience yeah. like? Yeah. I, I love that. So I, I guess if I were to zoom out hundred thousand foot level, the way that I think about the stages of like growing where you're trying to get like bigger and bigger results, accomplish more and more things, but, but not feel like you're spending 10 times as much energy. Like it's supposed to get easier as you go. Uh, phase one is like results. And that's kind of where I was in my agency. I had to provide results to my customers in order to grow the business and keep people happy and all that stuff. So like that's phase one. Every business leader starts out there. They're like, yeah, of course I have to get results. Uh, what's hard is in that next phase, the way that I think about it is, all right, well now you need to get results just as good as before, if not better results Mm. through others is like the next phase. And that's kind of a, a harder thing. Cause now you're, I remember hiring my first employee. I had a business coach at the time, which, um, personal self plug for me and justice here. Everybody needs a business coach, right? This is is hard to do on your own. Uh, but they really kind of pushed me into, they were like, it's time to make that leap. You are not going to get bigger unless you make the leap. Like you're capable. Here's some, they kind of helped guide me down that path. Uh, mm. Really grateful for that. 
And yeah, so I hired my first employee and it went really well. You know, we worked together for about a year and then we were acquired. And during that process, I went from, you know, me and this one full-time employee and a couple of like part-time contractors on my team to joining a team that had about eight or nine full-time people. And I instantly was like everybody's boss, so to speak. Like (laughs) that was, that was where like I slotted in. And that was like, so I went from like guy who'd hired one person ever and (laughs) and used some freelancers (laughs) to like, yeah, these, uh, these nine people have all been at this company for a little while. They report to you now. Yeah. What? So were you nervous or like, how did you figure, how'd you like, how'd you figure things out? Like the lay of the land and like, well, like what was your, cause there are a lot of people listening to this that are probably like, I want to go from one to 50. Like, that'd be great. Like, well, how did you figure out where, like how to go and what to do and hire? Like that sounds overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, so one of the reasons I decided to, uh, this is a weird way of putting it. Like when, when you get acquired, like it's a decision, right? You don't just, mm-hmm. it's not like a hostile takeover <laughs> that you see on TV. Like I decided to go this route. And one of the reasons that I did, and then I, I knew that it was going to rapidly accelerate uh, my results just personally and professionally mm-hmm. is, a uh, is, a uh, the leader of the business who acquired me, his name is Ralph Burns. He's been, uh, ever since then anyway, a longtime mentor and friend and, he has tremendous leadership experience, tremendous business experience. And so he was yeah. essentially my boss when I slotted in there. And so, yeah, I didn't know what I was doing. Ralph, to his credit, knew that I had the the like raw materials, so to speak. And he's a just really good mentor and kind of, I guess, leadership coach. And we spent a lot of time together over that first year just figuring it out, getting me up to speed and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And so a lot of the stuff that I'm sharing in this episode is stuff that I learned by being mentored by Ralph. Uh, and it's stuff that we kind of developed together as we grew that team to 50. Wow. Did you guys, would you say the first part was like figuring out what he wanted? Cause part of me is like, it's still, I'm still overwhelmed by it. I'm still just like, good. Yes. Was it clear expectations for you as, as a, people person now, which if you describe Deacon, he gets along really well with people, but I would never go, Oh yeah, he's a total people person. Like throw (laughs) him out there with with the people. He's very logical, um, great with people, but you're, he's very intentional. So I, I'm, how did you, how did the relational part of it, of just coming into a place, all of a sudden you're their boss, but then also being responsible for growing. That feels like those two things could be at conflict, if that makes sense. Uh, yeah. It, on the relational piece, this is kind of where, like, like you said, like I, I am blessed to be able to build rapport with people quickly. And so mm-hmm. that was a skill that I really needed. Um, aside from that, when I, when I think about like, well, what were the, the biggest things that took us from where we were to growth. We made, had to make a big change in how we hired people. And, and in that growth from say nine ish to 50, a big part of that was turning over all except for, I think two of those original nine people. Wow. So all of them eventually left. Uh, 
it wasn't like it was a mutual thing, but it was like, Hey, this place doesn't fit you anymore. And they're like, yeah, I agree. And so a lot of that was like, as the organization grows it, the people that it needs are different sometimes. And Mm. I actually had a really good conversation with a CEO that I'm working with just this week about this. And they're kind of in a similar spot to where I was. They have a team. They like their team. They've worked with that team for a while. But as we're talking about like growth, I'm like, one of the things I dig into a lot around team is actually on the, the leaders of the team. Like what is one of my favorite questions? If you doubled and if next month you doubled, what would break? And a lot of times it's like the leader. <laughs> They're like, <laughs> me. <laughs> exactly. They're like, I, I like, there's not enough hours in the day for me to pick up the slack, so to speak. Yeah. Those aren't their words. But if I read between yeah. the lines, that's what they're saying is like, I'm picking up slack. Things depend on me. They keep coming back to me. Mm-hmm. So I don't think I could do it. So if you're listening to this right now and you've got a team, uh, just ask yourself if I doubled next month, mm-hmm. not the number of people, like I just doubled the amount of business that I'm doing. What would break? Yeah. Uh, and so the conversation with this particular CEO was kind of around. Um, they were realizing that like they were compensating for their team performance. Wow. And, and that like, you, you can't grow and grow and do that because the idea is, as I said, at the top of the show, you bring, you bring on a team and then you are now freed from that task. <laughs> Right? Mm-hmm. Like that's somebody else's job now. That's kind of the whole point. And you can spend more time on vision stuff. What yeah. I often see is the opposite. You bring in, uh, the, as the team grows or as you bring in employees, you're, um, you're like more focused on them. You're more worrying. Like, are they doing it right? Or why mm-hmm. aren't they doing it right? Or this is taking a lot of my time correcting yeah. them. And like, I guess, and then they kind of are just resigned to like, I don't know why my team, I don't know why my team doesn't do it right, but I guess this is just being a manager is like being a babysitter kind of mentality. Do you when you look back and you look at, you know, coming in and was it you telling people, "Hey, look, your time here is done. We're headed to the moon." And you're more of a whatever? No. Or was what was <laughs> Cause you're so strategic. I'm wondering what did that look like? You probably came in pretty soon after knowing where you guys wanted to go. You knew, I don't think this person's going to be able to get us where we want to go. And so how did you have, you said no, which makes you goes, okay, there's some other strategic way that you made this happen. Yeah. I'm, I'm laughing because we used to, this is something that, that Ralph taught me. I have quote unquote fired a, a decent number of people. And, and I don't say, it sounds like I'm saying that cause I'm proud of it. Like I'm, I'm not, this is an experience plug. Like <laughs> uh, what I, what I think is interesting though, is uh, and this is something that I, I learned from, from my mentor, Ralph Burns is a lot of those people weren't necessarily like fired. It was like, they chose to leave. And we mm. also were hoping they would choose that. Mm. But at the end of the day, it was like, we're, we're parting ways. Like we're all excited about this choice. I think there was only one person that it was like, this isn't working. We had to make like a traditional, this is over kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. The, the reason I, I phrase it like that though, is 
at the at the heart of this, before we were growing at all, we did mm. probably one of the most important parts of this, which is we had to figure out what does our ideal team player look like. Mm. This is a book, Justice. I know you love Patrick Lencioni. Oh I love gosh. Patrick Lencioni. We should probably just do a whole podcast called On Things him. We Learn yeah. from Patrick Lencioni. Well, that's a great <laughs> idea. I love his books. And so good. The one that in this in this journey that we're talking about, the one that influenced me the most that I still refer to all the time is called, gosh, I should have looked up the title before I just started that sentence right there and hung myself out to dry. Uh, it's <laughs> ideal team player. Is that the actual title of the book? Justice? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> if you look up ideal team player, oh, it might be Patrick Lencioni. You'll find the book and <laughs> <laughs> we love him. What was the name of that? Yeah, book again. Yeah, the yeah. ideal team player. That's it. Okay, so that is the title of the book. Yeah, I nailed yeah. it. I nailed it. Uh, here I am. One of the most influential books for me, Justice, is what's the title of that? I swear I've read it. But in the ideal <laughs> team player, he, uh, you have to read this book by the way before you hire anybody else. Even though I'm about to give you the recipe, and the recipe is essentially imagine one of those like Venn diagrams with with the three circles hmm. and one circle is humble and the next circle is hungry. And in the final circle is smart and hmm. smart is, I always defined it as emotional intelligence for what I was yeah. doing. It's not like book smart or, you know, good at memorizing. It's like smart is like, Hey, like street smart. Think of it like that. Yeah. So humble, hungry, street smart. And the ideal team player for the businesses in this book was the intersection of all three of those. Mm. Now we, we read the book, Ralph and I, uh, and we went through an exercise to decide like, is that true for us? Mm. So we didn't just take the book and go, Oh, it's is you know, this is gospel. So, but the point of that, <laughs> what I was sharing, <laughs> the point of that is before we could actually build a team that was going to take us to the vision we were, we wanted to create. We had to know who should be on that bus, so to speak. Yeah. And that was kind of the core of it. So this whole thing there were that I'm just describing kind of came from you asking justice, like, how do I, like, did, how did you get rid of people or how did you get the right people yeah. on the bus? Um, as a leadership team, we, we decided this is what the ideal team player looks like at tier 11, mm. humble, hungry, smart, and then we had one other one um, off the top of my head. I think it was like detail oriented or precise. That's what we called it. They were oh, precise. Like that. that was like a, a something we had to have also. Yeah. And so once we defined those, we just started leading the company as if that were, that was what was important to us. So that meant like job descriptions, people we, we recognized and rewarded expectations we had of the team. And I share that because that's kind of the path. And that's what I was sharing with the CEO earlier this week is it's like, Hey, you're compensating. Phase one is like, figure out what is your, what should a great team member look like for you? Great. Mm -hmm. Now start leading the organization that that team member work, would work for. Yeah. And what that's you'll find so good. is that that's people so good. will, people who do not fit that are become unhappy. And then they leave. And so that's why I say it was never like, 
oh, you don't fit here anymore. It's like, we just, we were, we just became more clear about our expectations, yeah. what's important to us. And that's how we led. And so the right people were attracted to that. And then the people that weren't a fit or wanted to do something else were like, Hey, you know, I don't, I don't think this is for me anymore. And, and that's fine. Cause mm-hmm. I mean, people grow and change businesses grow and change. And that was essentially like the, the seed that yeah. eventually blossomed into that size of a team. Yeah. So it's, it, you created a culture that made it uncomfortable for people that, that, that didn't fit the ideal team player. I, you should have just answered that question. Cause you just took like uh, 10 um, minutes of <laughs> rambling and <laughs> super just nailed it right there. Yes. Culture. <laughs> <laughs> and I think when people think about culture, yeah. they, they think fluffy stuff. They do. Or, I or do. like, I'm not big enough to have a culture because, you yeah. know, that's something like, like I used to spend a lot of time at Facebook and they'd have happy hours. And, you know, there's, there's like a, a chef in the cafeteria carving cheese and yeah. steak. Yeah. And like there was beer and yeah. it was like, that's culture for me. Yeah. That, that's what they think of. But <laughs> But what you were saying is like, you're not, you you are never too small to have a culture because the culture is what attracts and repels people into your organization. And when people fit the culture, management becomes easy and fun. And when they don't, then you go into what I always call compensation mode where you're compensating for your team's underperformance. Yes. It's so interesting, you know, the culture that attracts an extroverted people person like me is not the culture that most organizations need to have. I think you have the right definition of culture is like what attracts really good people and repels people that are not a good fit for your organization. That's the culture. If it ends up being a lot of fun and you get a chef and like ping pong tables and all that stuff that's added, that just makes, that's more the environment um, of your work workspace not so much the culture. There's a lot of people that have fun workspaces that hate the culture. Oh yeah. I, I the, came from the tech know. world and yeah. I worked at those places and I, <laughs> and I, I didn't like it. Yes. yes. <laughs> but I do like foosball. So nobody get me wrong or mishear that. <laughs> yeah. I'll still take you on. on a ping pong. <laughs> um, that's really great. The, you shared earlier when we were kind of going over this, that you had a client that you're working through and you kind of had these three C's that you went over when it came to like hiring in people. Do you want to share those? Because I thought each thing that you're hitting on was, was really, really yeah, important. Absolutely. And I'm not going to forget that because it is right here on my screen, but pausing on the culture thing, you know, an example that I brought up on a call this week with a, with a CEO I was working with that I just, I think illustrates it really well. And it's really timely because well, I just ate a bunch of it right before we got on this recording. Uh, I love Chick-fil-A. Yeah. Right. And think about their culture. Uh, what are the, what are their employees doing other than like their job that you notice? Yeah. It's like, oh, they're, they're cleaning tables. Yes. They're greeting guests. Yes. They're taking care of the workspace and they're taking care of the people that come into the restaurant. Uh, they say my pleasure. It's like a big joke that we always talk about. What's so interesting though, is that in any Chick-fil-A you go to, there's probably other fast food restaurants in the same parking lot. And yep. if you go in there, it is a very different experience. <laughs> it's vastly different. <laughs> 
that's culture, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they're attracting people who want to be there. They're setting the expectations around how they expect their team to perform. And the results is like, man, just go in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those yes. are the results. Yes. I, I think that's so important. And like the opposite, it would be like Uber, like you, or like you hear about their work culture. And if you heard about all the fun stuff they get to do, you'd go, Oh, awesome. If you got, if you talk to the employees, they'd be like, <laughs> you have no idea the kind of culture that exists here. Yeah. It is really bad. And of course that's why they let go of the CEO and they did all this other stuff because it was this behind the veil of fun, fast paced, you know, disruptor. Yeah. It's uh, I've been following Peloton a lot lately. I don't know if you've been watching no. that implosion. And so that's a whole other thing. You know, we should do an episode just like looking at some Peloton. of these, but cause it's fascinating. Peloton really? Yeah. They're not, they're not doing great. Oh. Just <laughs> I didn't know that. their stocks going down. Like it's, it, it's a, it's a whole, this is all like a whole sidebar, but what's interesting is that their leadership at the top is, very, I guess you'd say finger pointy and mm. not accountable. And it's just interesting. I love, I, I don't love watching things like this happen because I, yeah, like, I like the company. <laughs> I think it's a fascinating case study on leadership. When you see something flying high, start to implode and unravel and you just watch the leader at the top and you're like, wow, yep. wow. Like, yep. seriously. <laughs> so yeah. that's what leadership is important for. Uh, sometimes you don't notice it when it's great, but you, but when it's missing, it rapidly unravels. One of the things that I noticed, I, I, so I recently did a program called no fail new year, where it's all about having a winning year instead of a year where you try to do all, you get super excited about the year and then it, it fails three months in. And so one of the things I make them do is make a two page document of where, what it looks like on January 1st, 2023. And so I have this high performing leader in there. I mean, she's, she's dynamic. She's great. Um, she's built an amazing business and she wrote hers out. And so now she has this grand vision and she's, but she's frustrated because she goes, justice, I can see it. But every time I've tried this past year to get there, I've, I've hit this, this roadblock at this ceiling every single time. Um, and I go, are you discouraged? She goes, yes, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm so discouraged. And I go, who's your partner in this? Like who partners with you? And she's like, well, it's always just been me. And of course, because it's her, she thinks she always has to get better at these things that she's already weak at. So she's like, I got to get better at this and I need to get better at this and I need to become better organized. And I was like, well, what if you just hired someone whose strength was your weakness? And she was like, huh? I go, you seem like a Batman without a Robin. And she's like, I am. And, and so now she's, she's going, I need a partner. Okay. I need to hire someone. I need to go. And so she's super excited because she sees, oh, if I get this, what we both know is like an integrator is, is how we'd say it. Yeah. Then, then everything would be better. Everything would be great. Yes. So let me describe what will, what often happens right after this, right? <laughs> she is at the top, like, yes, I see the future. I know how to get there. This is going to be fantastic. Yeah. And so she eventually they hire the person, you know, they, they make the job description, all that other stuff. Um, stage one celebration. Robin's here. They're organized. They're 
what else are they justice for <laughs> this person? Like Robinson's celebration. <laughs> their systems, like they're, they think systems, they think processes. Yes. Yes. And it's, so it's just like celebration phase yeah. where they're like, oh, I can go off and CEO now. Like I yes. can be the vision person now. I, I am casting worry aside. Uh, and that's, that's like phase one, right? It's a very, yeah. very short phase because stage two is confusion. Mm. So you go from celebration to confusion and in confusion, you're usually thinking things like how long does it take until this starts paying off? Mm. Or why am I doing more work now than before I hired the person? Mm-hmm. Or even longer term, it can be like, I hired them for this. Why does this keep winding up on my plate? Or why don't I feel more free? Like I thought I was going to be working on the vision now. And so it's this whole stage of just kind of confusion around like justice. You just told, convinced me to find my yeah. Robin and I did, but I am still feel like a, if Batman worked at a desk yeah, instead of being off fighting yeah. crime. Yes. Like, uh, so that's stage two. Mm-hmm. And then stage three is usually where CEOs find me. And so I talk to a lot of people in this stage. Uh, stage three is compensation. Mm. And the thing about this stage is people don't even know that it's a stage, I guess. They, they think it's just normal life. And mm. in the compensation stage is when your team isn't really performing up to the level that you had hoped and so a lot of what you do is compensate for where they're falling short. Mm. And this is huge because see, like when I work with CEOs, a lot of times I'm like, you know, what's taking all your time? Like if you were to double, what would yes. break? It's like, Oh, it's me. I would break. <laughs> yeah. Oh, tell me more about that. It's like, wow, you're, there is a lot of stuff that doesn't actually get finished until you walk by and like make an adjustment mm. or give some feedback. Or like there's an employee just sitting there motionless waiting for you to come over and be like, actually try this. And then you go back and all these like 30 second to five minute tasks that just completely derail you. And that's, that's the compensation stage. And what I want business leaders to know is that it's not supposed to, these are not supposed to be the stages. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. These are the the stages when you're doing it wrong. If you're in (laughs) any of these stages, Please reach out and get help. Yes. Yes. It's not like they should be like, ah, yes, I'm in the compensation place. Everything is good. I made it. <laughs> As planned. Uh, Do you feel like, um, I know I'm putting you on the spot, but if there was, if this is like what not to do, these are three phases of when you're not doing it correctly. What would you say is like the two or three phases that you go through when things are going correctly? Ah, oh, that's a good one. And yes, you are putting me on the spot. So (laughs) the first thing I would say, if you have not listened to episode nine of this podcast and you're thinking, wow, am I going through these stages? Like, and I wasn't supposed to, the very first thing you need to do is listen to episode nine in that we, we go pretty deep on job descriptions and like, what does winning look like and figuring out how to kind of start to manage your employees. That's like, that's how you fix this. Okay. So I guess stage zero is listen to that episode and just Mm -hmm. understand what it should look like in the, if I were to come up with stages right now, I'd say 
stage one is onboarding. And that's like when you buy a, I don't know if you've ever had a fish tank justice and, and I haven't had a fish tank since I was like 10. So I'm really reaching with this, <laughs> with this metaphor here. When you buy a, a, a new fish to put them in the fish tank, you bring them home in their little bag, right? Yeah. You put the bag in the water and it's just floating there. Like the fish is still in the bag, but you do that to like start acclimating them to the temperature. And then you let a little of the water from the tank enter the bag and then a little more. And that, cause otherwise it would totally shock them and they would die ah. if you just dump them in. So they have to acclimate. And so that's, it's almost like you're onboarding the fish into the tank and the onboarding phase is really all about, Hey, you've got an ideal team player. You've got like a culture. You need to start like indoctrinating them in a good way uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> and into what it means to be a part of your team. They should start learning the the ropes of like, here's how we communicate. Here's where I go to get this. Yeah. Give them like some simple little tasks and reps so that they're like, oh, okay. Like if it was, if you're, if you imagine it like going to an Airbnb that you've never stayed in and you were getting onboarded, they would be walking you around going, um, awesome. Hey, go get a snack out of the pantry. Great. Okay. Now put the trash in the trash can. The trash can is right over there. Okay. Awesome. Uh, here's a beer. Make sure you grab a coaster from right over there. So mm-hmm. we don't put our beer on the tables here, right? <laughs> yeah, leave yeah. rings. Yeah. So it's like onboarding them. You're just kind of teaching them all the stuff. That's stage one. Uh, stage two, you're starting to give them stuff to do. And you're you're kind of like, like watching them. And it's almost like slowly letting out the leash. Mm. Like you give them tasks and you're like, how's see how they do it equip them to do it, make sure that they can do it. And then um, if, if it was driving a car, this would be the part where you're like the driving instructor and they're driving, but you still have a brake. Yeah. Maybe like the little emergency <laughs> steering yeah. wheel. You're watching very closely because they're new. Um, <laughs> but eventually you're like in the back seat on your phone. And then eventually you're like not even in the car because they know how to drive it. So mm-hmm. those are kind of the stages. It's like onboarding, training, and then just starting to manage them using the job descriptions that I know you know about because of you listened to episode nine. Heck yeah. <laughs> this was great. This is so helpful because I think a lot of times what people will do is they'll tell you what you need, but they don't tell you what it looks like when you're not actually doing it well. So I like the the three C's of celebration, confusion, and compensation. So people are like, that's me. It's like, oh, I'm I'm in that downward spiral of like an un like of not being what I need to be. But then I can go and episode nine is kind of that transition piece. Like how do I transition over to being what I need to be and then going, okay, now you should be going through onboarding training and management. And I will say a lot of times what I've noticed that when people go from celebration to confusion, it's because they've avoided onboarding and training. Yeah. And so they're surprised that the person doesn't know, isn't, operating at the level that they expected because they didn't communicate expectations and give them an opportunity to learn how to execute in the way that they wanted, that that company wanted. So it's, it's almost like you want, if you want to avoid the downward spiral of celebration, confusion and compensation, Hey, yes, it kind of sucks. And this is actually what I told the lady, like when she brings in her all-star, I was like, look, the first three months is going to feel like you're still doing your job, your old job, because you're going to be doing onboarding and training. But then months three through six, you're going to start seeing the light at the end of the tunnel 
of like, oh my gosh. And if it's an all-star, they might be able to take stuff faster than you thought. Um, but then mm-hmm. you can, you can actually start moving into that dream scenario where it's like, I'm CEOing right now. I'm spending most of my time yeah. just CEOing. 100,000 foot level. My journey was like going through this. It was a lot of not just hire the person, but also come up with an onboarding process. And like, it was a lot of work, Yeah, right? a lot of work, Yep. Uh, but it paid huge dividends because the next person I hired, all that stuff existed. Mm. And then eventually after I hired a couple more people, um, I didn't even do any of that stuff anymore because the team did it for me. Yes. And that's when things really started to explode hmm. was my, I could get further and further away from it and know that it was well-designed and it's working. Yeah. And that, cause like I could have never done that for 50 people, no. but eventually I was just hiring and, you know, and eventually other people were hiring and I was just doing like the final interview, Yep. but everything just like kept working. And then the thing that blew my mind the most, just is just hmm. like a promise line, a promise land thing to be looking forward to when you're in these stages of like, Oh, this is a lot of work was, I remember like a big part of my role was like writing SOPs and creating processes and all that. There was this phase where we went through and I'll never forget it where like I was a manager. I like the people who reported to me were managers Hmm. and like, then there were frontline. So I was like relatively removed from the very frontline stuff and they were making stuff that I had never seen. (laughs) And I was like, this used to be my job. I didn't even tell them to do it. It was just, It was just this magical moment where I'm like, this thing is like, this is what it feels like when it starts growing by itself organically in the right way. How cool is that? All right. What last remarks do you, do you have for people as we, as we wrap up this magical episode? Other than listen to episode nine. That is huge. No, I think they should (laughs) because I really do. I think episode nine was really good. And if they are listening to this and they're going, oh my gosh, I'm about to enter into hiring. So, and, and, the right way, or they're like, I've been doing it the wrong way. Oh my gosh. They do need to go back to that. So I guess my closing remark would be, we've been talking about this a lot in the context of hiring the CEO I talked to this week. It was, we were going to go retrofit everything. It wasn't about hiring for him, but we still needed to go back and make job descriptions for jobs that people had already been doing for years. Mm -hmm. And so that we could actually make all of this stuff work. So Mm -hmm. even if you're not hiring, if you've got a team, you still need to go through episode nine, make the job descriptions, create the culture. All of that stuff still applies. Even if you're not like, Oh, I'm going to hire a bunch of people. Like that's how you create an organization that grows in a way that allows you to spend more time on your vision. Thanks for joining us today on the Sharp business growth podcast. If you are struggling with hiring, you're struggling with trying to figure out how to put all these pieces together, please drop us a line. You can find us at sharpbusinessgrowth.com. Fill out the form. We love having conversations with, with business leaders who are trying to figure this stuff out. Make sure you subscribe to the show so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time. Peace. Peace.